Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel in Hookson. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. Strategies. And uh, we, we see that he has devices and strategies and schemes and designs from 2 Corinthians. We know that Satan is real. We've gone over this for a couple of weeks now. And lest Satan should take advantage of us, we are not ignorant of his devices. We know that he has plans. We know he, he, he has, a, he has a, a mission. And we know that his mission is to usurp, steal, destroy veil the glory of God, right? We, Satan, he does not want us to say Happy Mother's Day because mothers, when they mother correctly, glorify God. Can I get an amen on that? When you have a mom that loves Jesus more than she loves her children, her children will benefit. When you have a mom that loves her children more than Jesus, Satan benefits. And I know that's kind of weird, but we shouldn't put anything on the throne of our hearts that does not look like, sound like, live like, actually is Jesus. Not our husbands, not our children, not our wives, not our best friends, not our moms. It should be Jesus. It should be God. And, and this is what happens a lot of times is, is we worship our children. And then our children become our gods in the home. Could you imagine a child as a god? Some of you don't have to imagine because you just, you, what do you do for God? What should you do for God? You should be at His beck and call. Can I get an amen? If God presents you with an opportunity, an instruction, an example, what should we do? Yes, sir. Right? God says jump, we say, how high? Right? And yet some of us, we live our lives for other people. And here's the problem, living your life for other people, whether it's your wife, your husband, your kids, your boss, your coworkers, your friends, your family, they are terrible little G-gods. And the glory of God will be diminished as it's supposed to be pouring out through you. It's still going. It's still going. It's Peter. <laughs> Peter, it's, Peter's helping someone. But I just, I thought that was great that he finally it landed in his hands. Peter's not the most technological person, though. You should probably have handed it to somebody else. <laughs> so we, 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 we end up losing the glory of God in our houses when we, when we have our priorities wrong, but we also end up uh, losing the glory of God when, when Satan comes into our homes, when Satan comes into our churches, and he causes this word right here, division. We will sometimes do the devil's work for him. See, he's very sly, and he's incredibly brilliant, and he knows exactly what buttons to push. And he comes to us, and he seeks to divide us. And last week, we looked at James, where James explained that self-centeredness and envy, and bitter envy, were actually demonic. When we talk about Satan, we often expect to hear about the occult. And part of the problem with that is we limit ourselves and our understandings to thinking that Satan is obvious. Satan does his best work when he is not obvious. He is subtle. The Bible says that he is the accuser of the brethren. He is the accuser of the brethren. And so one thing that he will do is he will, he will cause a hypercritical spirit, not a constructive spirit, not a spirit that desires the best for the church, but a spirit that just sees everything wrong and, 
and just is hypercritical and constantly bringing people, family, church down. He is the accuser of the brethren. What's wrong with you? Why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? I wish you were this. I wish you were that. Well, that also sounds like envy and bitterness and self-centeredness. How about look in the mirror for once or twice? Or just keep looking because I'm sure there's more stuff. So one of his weapons to cause division, aside from self-centeredness, self-seeking, aside from bitter envy, is communication. Communication. So turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, verse number 12. If you have them on digital, you have your paper Bible. Turn there. It should be on the Bible app, I think. Um, and we're going to read chapter 1, verse 12 through 26. And we talk about temptation today. Because Satan comes and he tempts us. And a lot of times when we think about temptation, we think about uh, lust. We think about drugs. We think about alcohol. We think about maybe the temptation to, to lie or to cheat, right? We think about some nefarious things. But I want you to think about temptation in another way today. I want you to think about temptation in the way that we communicate and how we speak to each other and how we you know, share truth. Or, or not. And so he starts in verse 12, blessed is the man, blessed is the man who endures temptation. So right, right away we know that temptation is not something that is going to be easy to deal with. And in my life I've, I've, gotten, I've gotten deceived by this. I've thought, man, this shouldn't be hard. This shouldn't be difficult. It shouldn't be difficult to do the right thing. And yet, the Bible says you've got to endure temptation. You've got to endure temptation, and you're blessed when you do, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So we get a, a hint on how do we endure temptation. We love the right thing, the right person, and our love for the person begins to outweigh our love for the temptation, and we have our eyes focused on Jesus. Right? Follow me now. He goes on. <clears throat> he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. By whose desires? Whose desires? Our own desires, right? So um, many years ago here, it seems like yesterday I preached through the whole book of James and I used this expression that Satan has hijacked our natural desires, our God-given desires. He's hijacked them for His purpose. He is enticing us by our own brokenness. Every single person born in the world uh, is born with a broken dead spirit that has bends and twists toward evil, right? Toward perverting God's good things. Because we know God doesn't give us evil gifts. He gives us good gifts. But when Satan comes in and our broken nature comes into play, it twists those gifts. And it uses the gift that God has given us for the destruction of God's glory or the veiling of it. So we're enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, oh, it is a Mother's Day message. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, thank you for that. It's a stream of consciousness right now. Just ignore some of it. Brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. I was mentioning just, just a moment ago, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God is the same yesterday, today, and will be the same tomorrow. He is consistent. He is committed. He is what we should be. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus, and you have turned to Jesus from your sin, and you have cried out to God to save you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that's because God moved on you. And He gave you faith 
and He called your name. And my sheep hear my voice, and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I mean, that is the promise of God. He goes on though, and he says this, so then, because you have been redeemed, because you are a child of God, right? Uh, because you have endured temptation, because you are, you are named after Christ, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce, does not work, the righteousness of God. So therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word of God which is able to save your souls. Now I've been pastoring Emmanuel, it'll be 10 years in June. I pastored Lighthouse Landmark for three years. I've been preaching since 1998. And really earlier than that, um, when I was a kid, not knowing I was called, I just went and did it when I was 18 or 19 years old. And I can tell you that there are people who possibly and are believers, they have a hard time listening to anybody but themselves preach. You know who you are. Like you don't want to hear preaching. You don't want to be meek. You don't want to be humble. And you know more than the preacher knows. And so you get very little benefit from sitting under preaching because you know more. You've done more. You're smarter. And friend, you're going to struggle. And you're going to stay immature in your faith and you're going to stay stunted. And God bless you because God gave you a pastor. He gave you a church. And He has called you to follow and to listen and he has called pastors and teachers of the church to equip the church for the ministry. But far too often, we don't do this. Go on. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. What does those last few words say? What does it say? This one's religion is useless. The King James says vain. And we don't often understand what does vain mean. The New King James clarifies it for you. It's useless. It's empty. It's no good does not bridle his tongue. Amen. It's like an exclamation point there. This is like the kind of message I want to get, grab my stool and sit down on because I feel like you guys, we just need to have a conversation. You follow what I'm saying? I just, I just feel like sometimes we think things are so simple, what I say doesn't really matter. But I'll tell you, the Bible says that we're going to give an account for the words that we speak. That is bloody terrifying. So, what is temptation? What's the, what's the big deal? Obviously, we're not talking about temptation to illicit sex. We're not talking about temptation to, um, to drugs and alcohol this morning. All those, those things, I do believe, uh, Satan is brilliant at tempting us too. We're not talking about oxycodone. We're not talking about affairs and adultery. We're, we're, we're talking about the tongue. The tongue. And James teaches us about the tongue and he says the tongue is set on fire of hell. Behold, what a conflagration such a little member causes. It's a powerful thing. And so I want us to look at temptation and understand a few things uh, about temptation, a few things that can help us understand how Satan attacks us, and how, and here's the thing, how we can see it coming, right? How we, how we can see it coming. Sometimes we live our Christian lives pre-9-11. You follow what I'm saying? We live our lives like the United States lived pre-9-11. 
Right? The CIA doesn't talk to the FBI. They don't talk to this. They don't talk to that. And all this information is out there. Listen, all the information is out there. It's actually not even out there. It's right here. We have the information on the terrorists that want to attack us. God has told us His devices, His strategies. He has given us warning. He is letting us know these things are coming. Watch out! Watch out! And we're like pre-9-11. Oh, look at that airplane. And then our families explode. Our marriage disintegrates. Our kids want nothing to do with us. Happy Mother's Day. Temptation, temptation. Let's look at it. It's something that Satan and his soldiers are really, 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 really good at. I mean, they are so good at temptation. Why do you think that might be? Practice makes perfect. Thank you, Dave Damon. Right? Practice. They have had thousands and thousands and thousands of years tempting human beings just like you and just like me. You want to talk about a Berkman analysis or a disk analysis, right? A personality test. Have you guys taken that online? You're on Facebook, get everybody your information. Right, so, so they know who to come for. No, I'm just kidding. Not, I'm not one of the tin hat wearers. I really don't care. Um, but you, you take these personality tests and you find out, oh, and a lot of them are very, very, especially the DISC, they're, a lot, they're very accurate and they're helpful in the workplace and how you deal with your husband and wife. And Satan knows all about that. I'm not saying he invented it. I'm saying he was there when it was invented. He knows your personality. He knows if you're greedy. He knows if you're insecure. He knows if you struggle with lust. He knows if you struggle with, with, uh, with alcohol. He knows if you might struggle with alcohol. He's looked at your family. He's followed people that have very similar economic status to you, very similar personality to you, very similar family life to you. He's followed these people and he has tempted them and he knows what he's doing. But we also can know what He's doing. I think that's cool. So, they're really good at it. They come to us sometimes with our own voice to tempt us to do something that is ungodly. So, number one, if it's ungodly, it's not coming from God, but we fall for it because it's our voice and we think we really want this. But if you're a believer, Part of you wants it, that dead part wants it, but the new part doesn't want it. In our, in our former addictions recovery ministry, RU, one of the ten principles, is it ten, Peter? Is if, if God is against it, and it's a, listen, it's a clarifying statement because we get deceived and we get confused and it's really easy to become confused when there's something that it's custom made for your brokenness. It's custom designed for you. Satan comes up to you and he dangles it in your face or one of his little demons or they whisper in your ear with your voice. Oh man. If God's against it, so am I. Right? Very simple. He's he's not tempting us to do good. He's tempting us, what does the Bible say? To do evil. He's tempting us to do evil. Temptation aims at our natural weakness. He is drawn away by his own desires. Temptation is, is listen, if you've got a mouth, who's got a mouth here? Don't all raise your hand because you don't know what I'm talking about if you, you're thinking, do I have a mouth? You don't. Well, you might, and you're just deceiving yourself, but I could ask my mom because she's my mom and it's Mother's Day, do I have a mouth? And she'd be like, do you have a mouth? Is that even a question? I told you guys last week that my dad almost killed me because I told my mom to shut up one day. And that way, I, I apologize for it. I had a hard time going to bed. If I was a real jerk to my parents, I would knock on their door and apologize because I had a mouth. I mean, it seemed like every night I was knocking on my parents' door because I had a mouth. I was uh, sarcastic. Some of you have noticed that the sarcasm is still there. I just try to bridle it so that it's useful for God. But 
this is what we're talking about now. We have these natural bends in our nature, and we are drawn toward them. There was a time in my life that I was really proud of how sharp my tongue could be. That's ungodly, but I was really proud of it. I was proud of how I could hurt people with my tongue. And I'm pastoring you, so thanks for that. He aims at our natural weakness. The Bible says he is drawn away. We are drawn away by our own desires. And then finally, temptation is something that is harmful, harmful to self. And this is where we're talking about communication today. Harmful to self and harmful to others. He's going to tempt us to something that's harmful to self and something that's harmful to others. It says it brings forth death. It brings forth death. The enemy wants to take what is good. Every good, every, listen, every gift that descends from above is good. It's given to us from God. Our mouths are good. Our tongues are good. But Satan wants us to use our tongues for evil. His goal is to dim the glory of God. I want you to think about this. This area of temptation that causes great division are the words that we use. And I argue that there's few things more harmful. I mean, if somebody shot you or... I would even argue if somebody beat the trash out of you, eventually you're going to heal. There's a time frame. The bruise is yellow. Eventually they fade and they're gone. Nate's broken a foot and he's broken a finger. You can't even tell. Right? He was back playing football. Can't even tell. But the words we use, sometimes words hurt more. I, mean, I was taught that, taught that nursery rhyme, right? Sticks and stones may break my bone, but words can never hurt me. You know why they made that up? You know why they made that up? Because words hurt. You wouldn't make it up if they didn't hurt, guys. And words are damning and damaging and crushing. Words are harmful and destructive. And they have a way of staying with people. Why do you think? That it is, uh, I, I think the latest person I talked to told me it was like a three-month waiting list to get into therapy. And a lot of the therapy is needed because of the words people use. So one, one area of temptation that causes great division, probably more than any other, is the words that we use because we cause hurt and then we don't fix it and then the hurt grows. She's delightful. Are you being led by Satan or by the Spirit? I think this is worth asking. This question is worth asking. How many times, and this is difficult for people like me who sometimes speak, actually, to God be the glory, I don't often speak before I think or type on Facebook. Usually if I post something or a comment or anything, you ought to know it's probably been revised about ten times. And most of, it's, most of it's been cut out of the comment section and pasted in a notebook so I can use it later after I've thought through what I want to say. So the question is, are you led by Satan or by the Spirit with the words that you're using? In the church, how many of you, when you have a problem with leadership or how things are being done, how many of you have gone to the leadership? It amazes me when people come to me. I have an example. A brother came to me. We, we were here till 10.30 one night. Like a six-hour meeting. It didn't start well. <laughs> uh, I'm not always in a bad mood, but when I am, it's pretty obvious. But it ended incredibly and this brother had an issue and I and I I wasn't ready to hear it but I stopped and I want to hear what you have to say and we sat down and we hashed things out and we talked things over and and by the end we were just fellowshipping we were just fellowshipping over the word of God and theology and just talking as brothers in Christ but he had resisted coming to me and I believe this because the enemy is going to say this to you oh don't go to them don't go to the leadership they're not going to Listen, 
And almost every person that's come to me has said, wow, I can't believe you actually listened to me. I'm like, why not? And so I tell them, hey, when you leave here, would you please tell other people that I actually listen to people? I have a problem with being defensive. I know I have that problem. So usually in a conference, when it's getting heated, I say, please stop and let me breathe. Because I know I can look like her with better hair. <laughs> but we, we tend to be led by, by the wrong voices. And so instead of going to someone that can cause change or at least address something that's bothering you, we go and recruit people that are going to agree with us. We recruit with our tongue people that are going to take our side. And that's going to make us feel better. But what that does in the church is it divides the church. You hear me well. That divides the church. There's not a worship ministry. There's not a children's ministry. Right? Uh, there's not a food pantry ministry. There is Emmanuel Baptist Church. And everything else is part of it. We are part of each other. There's no teen ministry. It's Emmanuel Baptist Church. And we work together and we support each other and we love each other and we need to be willing to communicate with each other, not build silos and build little castles. Are you being led by Satan or by the Spirit? If you're only going to people that will support you and tell you what you want to hear, the chances are you're not being led by the Spirit. And how you speak, this is a good question, they're much happier. They're being led by the Spirit. What are you saying? And how are you saying it? I have my newly counseled premarital counseling Noel here. We went over some of this in, in premarital counseling. Uh, and there's so many scriptures we could use to support these particular uh, principles. Proverbs is full of them. What you say and how you say it causes division and destruction or construction. Either it builds up or it tears down. So what are you saying to your spouse, to your children, to fellow church members? What are, what are you saying? Are you saying things that are constructive, that are encouraging? Um, or if you have something that's bothering you, are you doing it in a way that can, can be used to build up and be used to repair? Or are you just complaining do a word study in the Bible on complaining. See what God thinks of it. You'll probably see some people swallowed up in the Old Testament. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians. We're going to talk a little bit about the words we use and how we use them. And the enemy is after you. The enemy is after your family. And listen, man, in the heat of the moment, when our, when, 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 when our anger is rising, the enemy takes that godly emotion of anger and he perverts it and he twists it and he stokes the fire so that the words that fire out of your mouth cause massive destruction. There are brothers that haven't spoken to each other for years because of words. Therefore, put away lying. Putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Now, Emmanuel Baptist Church, I'll tell you what, man, I believe in membership. We are family. We are members of each other. You all should join a Bible circle if you're not in one. We are members of one another. You should get to know each other. You should love each other. You should support each other, and you shouldn't lie to each other. Put away lying. He goes on, and he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to who? The devil. So the devil now, man, he is in our words. He is in the lies. He is in the wrath of man, does not produce the righteousness of God. 
I break it down real simple for the couples that I counsel because sometimes it's hard to remember the wrath of man does not work, the righteousness of God, and I say this, the wrath of man doesn't work. Now obviously the righteousness of God is something that is, it's everything that is good and great and honorable and everything we should want to be. So we just, we simplify it so we can remember it really easily when we start to see red. Anyone like that? You just start to see red. You're like a bull and somebody has waved that red flag in front of you and it's almost as if, oh, I can't control this. And you just rip. You just verbally vomit all over whomever happens to be in your circumference. And you just start screaming or belittling, right? You start cutting down. You start thinking of the things that you know will hurt that person. Anybody like that? Listen, if you've been married for five minutes, you probably know the words that you can use that will hurt your spouse the most. They're in there and you know it. The wrath of man doesn't work. As a matter of fact, it gives place. It gives, it gives a toehold to the devil in your family, in your church. Things we say when we are not in control of the Spirit but in control of wrath are destructive and divisive. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. I did an in-depth study on the book of Ephesians. You'll find it on vimeo.com slash Emmanuel hooks it, or just go to our website and look at our archives. I'll tell you, we did a series called... Uh, don't corrupt, build up. And this, and this word corrupt means to, to corrode, to tear down, to destroy. And what we're talking about is don't destroy what God is trying to build up. And how do we do it? How do we corrupt? How do we destroy with our mouths? Yes, with our behaviors, but with the words that we speak. Don't corrupt, build up. He said, let no corrupt, no corrosive word, no belittling word. Men, when you look at your wives and you treat them as less than humans, this is what you're doing. Women, when you look at your husband as a complete and utter idiot, this is what you're doing. This is one of the things that, listen, I love Disney. I love Disney movies. I can't wait till Aladdin comes out. I know some of you guys are like, no, nobody could have replaced Robin Williams, but I love Will Smith. And, and but one of the things that drove me crazy about early Disney, Disney movies is the father is either always absent or always adult. Anybody ever notice that? Like, look at Little Mermaid. I can't listen to you. You're just a little girl. Rawr. Look at Beauty and the Beast. It, they're just all idiots. I'm like... And, and we laugh, and, and, and it is funny, but, but I've seen this in the church. I've seen this in the church, and I've, I'm seeing it more and more in our culture. Men are just considered to be dolts. Oh, you're just a dumb guy. And I fall for that. I'm like, yeah, this is my wife. She's my better half. She's smarter than me. I shouldn't say that. She shouldn't accept it. When people try to belittle my wife, I don't let them. When she would put herself down, when we were dating, and, and teenagers, we're all insecure, right? Teenagers are insecure, and she would put herself down. I would look at her and I'd say, don't put my girlfriend down. Who are you to put my girlfriend down? My girlfriend is awesome, right? You, but we, 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 we tend to do this to ourselves. Our self-talk is corrupting. So what are you saying to your husband? If your husband is adult and you're constantly reminding him of that and all of his failures and everything that's wrong with him, you think you're building him up to be the kind of man you want him to be? Because how is he going to change if I don't point out his faults? <laughs> All right. Um. Now, this is not to say that you cannot have an, a, a conversation where something that your husband is doing or something that your wife is doing is harming you or hurting you, and you can't say, hey, babe, listen to me, man, this really bothers me. But if you're constantly looking at your spouse and you're criticizing, or you're constantly looking at your son or your daughter and you're constantly criticizing them, you will get what you pay for with your mouth. Corrupt, 
corrode what God is trying to build up. Oh, and you're doing the enemy's work for me. Are you led by the Spirit or led by Satan? An easy way to tell, right? We're trying to see what is his device? What is his strategy? An easy way to tell is this. What's the outcome? What is the outcome? After I have this kind of conversation with my spouse, conversation, which usually denotes me screaming or yelling or just belittling, and right, after I have that conversation, are they better or worse? Or are they just quiet? And if they're just quiet, you've done a great job at killing communication in your family. Because now they're like, I'm not talking to him. Because when I talk to him, all I get is belittled. All I get is damaged, corrupted. Are you led by the Spirit? Are you led by Satan? He's going to tempt us to belittle others in the church. He's going to tempt you to look at Angel leading worship today and say, well, you know, I much prefer Stephen. He's going to tempt you to say, oh, he, he missed that note, he missed that note, and he kind of does this thing. I like this thing with Stephen. So is your communication, is it, is it, is it doing good? Is it imparting grace? To those that hear you? When people hear the words you're speaking, are they better for it? Are they better for it or are they worse for it? That's a good way to tell which line you're following. Again, this is not to say that we do not confront. That's another device that the devil will take care of another time. Lack of, conf- lack of godly confrontation causes all sorts of chaos. But there's a way to say it, and a when to say it, and there's a what to say. We go on, Paul continues, and he says, um, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let, he's talking to Christians here. Let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking put, be put away from you. But the enemy comes in and he tempts us. Because I'm here to tell you, I'm a Davis. And Davis in the Greek, depending on which day I'm defining it and making up the definition, means bad temper. <laughs> Sometimes it means other things, but today it means bad temper. Like, I can have a really bad temper. And when I lose my temper, it feels good. Is it just me? When you lose your temper, what are you thinking about? Nothing. Not the hurt, you're just letting it rip. And to hell with any kind of damage I cause. And I know some of you are offended by that, but listen, that's what set it on fire. You just let it rip. Consequences, you don't care. And now you tell me how that is different than taking an opioid. We don't care about the consequences. When you're high, you don't care. When I had my pinched nerve and I would take Percocet or I would take Vicodin, it didn't take the pain away. It just made me stop caring. <laughs> like, hey, and they gave me Dilaudid in the hospital. I said, can I take that home? They said, no. I said, please. They said, no. Anger's the same thing. You, you stop thinking about consequences. You stop thinking about the impact your words have. And then when it's all said and done, and everything is in shambles, you wonder why nobody likes you. You wonder why people walk on eggshells around you. And that's a good question. If people have to walk on eggshells around you, you're probably not being led by the Spirit. You're probably, probably being led by Satan. So we're supposed to put away bitterness. We're supposed to put away anger, wrath, clamor, and evil speaking with all malice. And what? 
church family, family family, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given us Himself an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. There's a nice mouth. It's not mine. I found it. I thought it typified what we're talking about. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. In James, the passage that we started with last week, he talks about how confusion and every evil thing comes from bitter envy and self-seeking. This meanness, this anger, these lies, this manipulation, this clamor, a lack of peaceableness, an unwillingness to yield. You just have to be right. right? You follow? You ever argue with someone that they just can't let it go? Even when they're wrong, they have to be right. They are implacable, the Scripture calls them. Unwilling to yield. Even when all of the reasons are written out before them and they all make sense, they're like, nope, don't see it. Don't see it. The word malice means this. Spitefulness. Malevolence. Maliciousness, animosity, hostility, ill will, ill feeling, hatred, bitterness, venom, vindictiveness, vengefulness, revenge, malignity, evil intentions, animus, enmity, devilment, devilry, bad blood, biting, gall, rancor, or grudge. Holding a grudge is demonic? Yep. You heard it here. So what do we do? Well, number one, we should start living our lives like this. Now remember, the enemy's strategy has been unclassified. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So when we're talking about advancing the cause of Christ, and we're talking about defeating the devil, when we're talking about not giving him room in our lives, this verse should be imprinted on our hearts. Let each one, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. That's how we minister to each other. Noel remembers that from counseling. Probably Brad and Libby remember that from counseling. I don't know if Pat and Allie remember that from counseling, premarital counseling. I've gotten better since I did your counseling. How many years have you been married? Nine years. That's pretty good. It's awesome. You just celebrated that, didn't you? Soon. Hope they make it. Just kidding. When we're more concerned with others, we'll be less likely, we will be less likely to fall for the devil's devices of division. We'll be less likely to fall for the temptation to speak corrupt communication. I was knocking on doors with Ed Hayward. Remember Eddie? And we would just have these great talks while we were walking around town, just knocking on doors, inviting people to come to church. And, and God had just gotten hold of my heart, and I said, man, when I die, when I'm finally buried, I just want people to say something like, he spoke like Jesus did. I, I want people at the end of my life to look back on the things I've said to them. Not just how I've preached, but how I've communicated with you. One-on-one, -on -one, when I had to had a deal with a hard situation, when I had to confront you on something that you were doing that was harmful to yourself or others, when I've had to confront my kids. You know, eventually, the sum total of my life, I want it to be said, when he spoke, you heard Jesus. That should be our heart's desire. And this verse is not a standalone verse. The Bible is full of pleas for us to look out for each other. And finally, guys, in closing, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he's real. He's real. And, and, and he hates your marriages. And he hates your family. 
And He wants to destroy you. He's not your friend. He's your enemy. And He walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom He may devour. He wants to utterly destroy you. But He doesn't just want that. He wants to use you to destroy others. And one of His best ways is through the tongue. Through our mouths. How we speak. How we share our love. When we have to confront, how do we confront? Do we do it in a way that Christ is evident? If you're wondering, like, how do I confront when there's something wrong? And you're not sure how to confront this person? Well, how about this? How about seek some advice? Not just from somebody that's going to tell you what you want to hear and say, oh yeah, he's a dirty, rotten idiot. Or she's a horrible person. How about somebody that'll say, yeah, I think you might be wrong on this. Or they might say, I can see that if I'm obviously one side of the story, but here's how you maybe should approach that. Here's a good way to approach your spouse. Ask the question, how do they receive bad news? That's a good way to approach confrontation. Here's another piece. Why don't you read your Bible? Look at the life of Jesus. How did he confront people? What did he say? And I'm not talking about the Pharisees here, guys. He called them snakes in the grass. Oh, Trisha, you brood of vipers. Probably not the right way to confront your spouse. Rather, look at how he dealt with his disciples. There's only about three instances in all of the Scripture where Jesus was sharply dealing with His disciples. One was when Peter tried to stop Him from going to the cross. I think Jesus had some merit in saying, get thee behind me, Satan. Because if Peter succeeded in keeping Jesus from going to the cross, where would we be today? As a matter of fact, Here's the interesting thing. He said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you're more concerned about the things of man than you are the things of God. Peter was deceived by Satan and was more concerned about his earthly kingdom than he was about the kingdom of heaven. And so he tried to do what he thought was normal. Stop Jesus from going to Jerusalem because he had a death sentence on his head. But Jesus was looking at the bigger picture. So even in that, when, when the people tried to keep the little children from coming to Jesus, he was like, guys, what are you doing? Let the little children come to me, for of such are the kingdom of God. Come on, guys. And the other incident was this. Oh, ye of little faith. You look at how Jesus talked to Peter after Peter betrayed him. Did Jesus look at Peter and say, you filthy, you're so stupid. You're so weak. I can't believe you did this. What's wrong with you? Is that how Jesus spoke to Peter? He just looked at him and said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, God, you know I love you. And he said it three times not to twist the knife, but to restore him for the three times that Peter had betrayed him. But do you, Peter? Lord, you know I do. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. And you know I love you. And he said, well, feed my sheep. Did he kick him to the curb and say, Peter, you're a second-class Christian now because you betrayed me? Is that what Jesus did? Because Peter blew it almost as bad as anybody ever had. And how did Jesus use his word? Was he led by Satan or by the Spirit? He restored Peter completely in that moment. This beautiful thing. How are you using your words? Are you being led by the Spirit? Or are you being led by Satan? And it breaks my heart to see so many people so deceived as they tear down what God has ordained them to build up. I want you to think about that in a marriage relationship. Happy Mother's Day. 
in a marriage relationship, God has given you, oh my word, He's given you such a hallowed place in the life of your spouse and in the lives of your children to build them up and to allow them to fly with all of the glory of God. And what do we do with that power? We allow the brokenness of our nature to be tempted to destroy and belittle, to harm and to hurt. Oh man, be led by the Spirit, not by Satan. Be alert, be aware. Wake up to the voices and what they're telling you. And listen to the right ones. And finally, look at Jesus. He is the model. He's the model of the kind of man, the kind of woman we should be. How he loved. How he spoke. How he cared. Even in confrontation. Even in confrontation. He was so full of compassion. And so full of love. Even when he had to tell you what you did was wrong. His confrontation was designed for restoration. A lot of times we do that wrong. We confront people for restitution. Or retribution. Instead of having restoration as our goal. Hey all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing. <laughs>